Amen. A lot going on. Good to be here with you all this morning, this beautiful rainy Sunday morning. But good news is, according to the old saying, flowers are on the way, right? <laughs> well, my wife sends her greeting. She had a chance to go play grandma down in Texas, so she took advantage of it, and she wasn't able to come here with me this morning. But I'm blessed to be with you all this morning, be able to share with you what God is doing in Cusco, Peru, uh, like you saw in the video. My wife and I have been there for five years now, work with the Quechua Indians, and I'm going to help you understand a little bit more about orality or biblical storytelling this morning. That's about the only way I know how to preach anymore. I forgot how to do a regular sermon with three points in a poem. It just doesn't work for me anymore. I tell Bible stories because the people that we work with, there's a huge amount of illiteracy, but what's even worse, there's more people that have very low comprehension. They can read the words, but they don't understand what they're reading. And um, that can be very dangerous. That can add to the syncretism quite easily because they're easily... Um, Deceived, they can listen to something on the radio and then they'll turn around and go preach it because sounds good to them. They don't know the word like they need to. So God has given us the tool of orality to help raise up disciples of Jesus in the Cusco area. And some exciting news, Pastor Steve, since you were there. In September of last year, we held a training of orality in the capital city of Lima in the headquarters of the Assemblies of God of Peru, and the National Church approved an oral curriculum to credential pastors in the Assemblies of God of Peru. So they learn the Bible stories and they can get their credentials without having to open the first book. And that's exciting because there are so many of these pastors, like you heard earlier, they're appointed as a pastor of a little church because they're the oldest member. Maybe they have the most respect in the community. And they really have no idea what they're doing. They're grasping at straws trying to hold a church together. So using this curriculum, this oral curriculum, we're going to be able to better prepare them to pastor their churches and lead their congregations and make more disciples of Jesus. So we're excited about that. But another thing that's really exciting is the nation of Bolivia has already contacted us and they want us to bring it to Bolivia. We have people in Ecuador who have contacted us and they want us to start it there. So we're believing God that this is going to expand all over Latin America and we're going to see more and more illiterate people raised up to be workers for the kingdom of God. Amen. So thank you. Amen. Thank you for your prayers. Please, there's some prayer cards out at the hospitality center. Would you please take one home with you? I don't know. Some people put missionary prayer cards on the refrigerator. Some, uh, this one is a good size for a bookmarker. But would you take one and would you remember us and the Quechua people and the work of, in Peru in your prayers? We need it so much. So right now, we're going to open our Bibles. I'm going to tell you a story, but we have to set the story up first. So if you look in Genesis chapter 19, 
Now, normally, I tell people when I'm telling stories, a lot of people, they like to, uh, you know, in the literate world, they like to open their Bibles and see if I'm really following Scripture. So, but I always tell them, close your Bibles, listen. That's the key to storytelling is them listening. So, we're going to read this first part, and then we'll go on and tell you a story. So, we all know the story about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and how God rescued Lot and his wife and his two daughters. His wife ended up turning into a pillar of salt. And these are the verses that continue that story. It says, now Lot, starting in verse 30 of Genesis chapter 19, now Lot went up from Zoar and lived in the mountains together with his two daughters, for he was afraid to stay any longer in Zoar, and he lived in a cave with his two daughters. The firstborn said to the younger, our father is aging and there is not a man on earth available to be intimate with us in the customary way so that we may have children. Come, let us make our father drunk with wine and we will lie with him so that he, we may preserve our family through our father. So they gave their father wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and he did not know when she lay down or when she got up because he was completely intoxicated. Then the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drunk with wine tonight also, and then you go in and lie with him, so that we may preserve our family through our father. So they gave their father wine that night also, and the younger got up and lay with him, and again he did not know when she lay down or when she got up. Thus both the daughters of Lot conceived by their father. The firstborn gave birth to a son and named him Moab, he is the father of the Moabites to this day. Now, I spent a lot of time in Louisiana. And they have a saying down there about up the bayou and down the bayou. Up the bayou means that it's good for the average society, that civilized folks do things that are up the bayou. Down the bayou is things that are a little bit, nah. This is one of those stories that probably should have stayed down the bayou, if you know what I mean. Everybody's family history doesn't need to come up the bayou. And we have to ask sometimes, God, why did you put that story in the Bible? But we're fixing to find out. So, hundreds of years later, there was a family in the city of Bethlehem named Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And they lived in Bethlehem, but a great famine came upon the land. This was during the time of the judges. And Elimelech and his wife, they moved to Moab because there were still crops there. And they had two sons. And after a number of years, Elimelech died. So Naomi is there with her two sons, and they married two local, local Moabite girls. And after a while, their two sons died. Her two sons died as well. So here's Naomi. She's a foreigner. She's an immigrant. She's working in the fields according to Scripture. That's the best job she could get. She has lost her husband. She's lost two sons. And she's working one day in the fields, and she heard that God has blessed Israel once again. So she decides, I'm going home. I've had enough of this place. 
So she tells her daughter-in-law, she says, I'm going back to my people. And they said, well, we're going to go with you. Now, you have to realize back in those days, these girls didn't just marry the boys. They married the family. And legally, Naomi could have said, yeah, you're mine. Come on with me. But she didn't. She said, no, I release you, and I want you to find rest with your own people here in your land. Go find you some husbands. And they said, no, 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 no. We're going to go with you. But she insisted. She said, look, God has raised his fist against me. I want you to stay here. And the oldest daughter-in-law left, but the younger one, she said, no, I'm going with you. And where you live, I'm going to live. Where you die, I'm going to die. Your people are going to become my people, and your God is going to become my God. And the name of that girl was what? Ruth. Y'all know this story. And she went with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And whenever the, Naomi and Ruth walked into town, all the town's ladies, they gathered around Naomi and they said, oh, you're back. So good to see you, Naomi. And she said, don't call me Naomi because Naomi is a pleasant person. You can call me Mara because I'm bitter. God has brought bitterness into my life. God is against me. Well, they settled in to the homestead. And one day Ruth says, well, we're in hard times here, but thank God it's barley season. I'm going to go and I'm going to gather the scattered grain out in the fields that is left by the harvesters. So Ruth goes out and she begins to gather barley. And the owner of the field that she was working in noticed her and he said, who is this girl? And the laborer said, well, this is the girl that came back with Naomi and and she, she asked if she could gather grain in your fields this morning. So we said, okay. And the name of this man was Boaz. And he said, take care of this girl. She's been good to her mother-in-law. I want you to watch over her. Don't you dare harm her. And I want you to even take a few pieces of grain out and drop them along the way. Give her a little bit extra. So Ruth continued to work with Boaz and his men through the entire barley harvest. And on that first day, there was enough barley that Ruth gathered up and she took home that it was enough for a lot of days that they could eat and survive. And Naomi was very grateful. And she went home and Naomi said, well, who did you work with? And Ruth told her, there's a man named Boaz. And Naomi got excited. She says, praise the Lord he is kinfolk. You see, Naomi was impoverished. She came back home being an immigrant from a foreign country. She'd lost her husband. She'd lost her two sons. In those days, women didn't have a whole lot of value. The only thing she had was the family farm, but it really belonged to Elimelech's family. But she had rights to it. But in her poverty, she couldn't run the farm, so she wanted to sell the farm. But she couldn't just take it to Century 21. Somebody in the family had to buy it. And Boaz was that person who could help her and redeem the farm and redeem her life so that things could get better. 
So Naomi told Ruth, keep going back to Boaz and keep working for him. And at the end of the barley harvest, Naomi had this great idea. She said, Boaz is the one that can redeem our lives. Here's what I want you to do. Tonight, they're going to start threshing or separating the grains of wheat from the stalks. And I want you to take a bath and put on your best perfume and your best clothes. And tonight, they're going to, after working a long day, they're going to get drunk and they're going to lay down. And I want you to go lay at his feet. That's what they did back before Christian Mingle. I wouldn't suggest doing that today, though. So, Ruth does, as Naomi suggested. And she went and she laid at the feet of Boaz. Now, Boaz, he, he was tipsy, but in the middle of the night, he woke up and he realized somebody's there. And he said, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth. I'm the servant or the daughter-in-law of your distant relative. And we need you to be our redeemer. Will you cover us? That was a way of saying, will you bring us into your family? And he said, I will. He said, sleep here tonight and leave in the morning. Don't let anybody know that you came here last night and we'll take care of this. And Ruth went home the next morning. And the next morning, Boaz went to the city gate. That is the place where they handled all of the transactions in the city. It was like the notary's office or the uh, county clerk's office. And he went and he sat at the front gate because he knew that there was another relative that had more rights to redeem the property than him. You see, he was a second cousin. There was a first cousin. We're going to say it that way. It's easier to understand. So the first cousin came through the gate. And Boaz approached him. He said, look, Naomi has returned from Moab. And she wants to get rid of the farm. And we're the only two left that can redeem it. But I'm a second cousin. You're a first cousin. You have more rights than I do. Do you want to buy the farm? And the first cousin said, I sure do. Well, Boaz told him, you buy the farm, there's a little girl that comes with her. Her name's Ruth. And you have to carry on Elimelech's name through that girl because she was the wife of one of the sons. And that's how they did things back in those days. And the first cousin said, no, that's going to mess up my kid's inheritance. I don't want to do that. You go ahead. And Boaz married Ruth. And he redeemed the farm. And he took the young servant girl. And together, they had a son. And his name was Obed. And Obed had a, grew up and got married and had a son, and his name was Jesse. And Jesse grew up and had a son, and his name was? And you guys do know this story. And he was what? The king. So now, that's the end of the story. And normally, 
about this time, I would begin asking you questions. We ask questions for two reasons. Number one, I need to to know what you understood from this story. Because I'm from a different culture, it doesn't mean that the way I speak is necessarily the same way that you hear or understand things. So I would start asking questions, but it is also the time in the question and answer time is when the Holy Spirit really begins to open people's hearts up and they begin to learn and understand the scripture. And sometimes question and answers can go for an hour. We don't have that much time. Y'all got another service. So, but we are going to talk a little bit. Who's the hero of this story? I I can't hear y'all. Boaz. Ruth. Well, she's the one that got the book deal. The book's named after her. David. You know, Ruth is the one that got her name put on the book. Boaz is the one in the book of Matthew whose lineage is carried on to the Messiah. But I want to propose something to you. There would have never been a Ruth come out of Moab without a Naomi who went to Moab. You see, Naomi was just a normal person. And things went south all the way for her. We're in a famine. We got to move. We got to pack up and leave everything we know. We have to leave family. We have to leave the farm and go to a place where they all talk weird. They're all strangers. And she gets there and her husband dies. Now, according to scripture, Naomi worked in the fields, so she was a, just a field laborer. She was there for 10 years working in the fields. Try to imagine this. Try to imagine this is your life. And then she loses both of her sons in the middle of all this. Is there any wonder she told the people back home, just start calling me Mara, because I'm better. She told the girls, God has raised his fist against me. Naomi felt separated from the God that she worshiped. But here's the incredible thing. There was something in Naomi's life that Ruth saw that Ruth said, your God will be my God. In the middle of all the struggle and in the middle of all the hurt, in the middle of all the confusion, no telling how many nights Naomi said, God, where are you in all this? I think that the only way Ruth could have made that statement was because Naomi never criticized and blamed God. She allowed God to work through her. 
and in her. How many of us feel like God has raised his fist against us? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, just call me bitterness? Because I'm not real pleasant right now. Things are gone south in my life. Church, we need to understand one thing when we read scripture. The Bible is God's story. This is not the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. This is God's story. From Genesis to Revelation, it is God's story. Now, Ruth got her name put on the book because it was showing how a young girl from Moab who was raised as a result of a perverse culture, they were a pagan society, And God was showing how he used someone and brought them out of that and redeemed them and brought them over here to be part of the lineage of his Messiah that he was sending to redeem mankind. We don't know where the Ruths are at and we don't know who they are. And even though we feel like a bunch of Naomi's sometimes, you know what, church? There is a Ruth in your life that God wants to use for you to bring to a point of redemption so they can become part of God's story. God has plans and purposes, and even your pain, even your struggle, even your suffering is part of God's story. The thing is coming to accept that. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. But here's the beauty. In the last few verses, Boaz and Ruth, they produce a baby called Obed, and it says that the women of the town, probably the same women who Naomi said, just call me bitterness, they brought that baby and set that baby in her lap and said, a promise has been fulfilled. Church, There will be a baby set in your lap someday. You might be in confusion right now. You might be hurting right now. You might not understand what God is doing with your life right now, but church, a baby is on the way. And they're going to set it in your lap, and you're going to be filled with joy. Every single one of us struggle. Amen? Every single one of us have our story But the key is letting our story become part of God's story. Amen? I want to tell you real quick about a couple of storytellers that we have there in Peru. Their names are Guido and Teofila. And they lived way up in the mountains in this little community. In fact, their church was there in the video. And they were good pagan Catholics. Now, Catholicism is the national religion of Peru, so everybody's a Catholic. But the Quechua Indians have syncretized it so much with all kinds of stuff 
that they are basically pagans. They give offerings to the sun and the moon. There's sacrifices that are done. And so that's why I say they're good pagan Catholics. And they're proud of it. They're proud of their belief system. Well, Theophila went to an evangelical church and gave her life to Jesus. And she got saved and she started going to church. Well, this made Guido, her husband, pretty angry. He said, you can't do that. That's, um, we're, we're, they call it the Andean beliefs. We are people of the Andean beliefs and you're gonna bring curses on our family if you keep going to that church. But Theophila was faithful. Guido started beating her every time she went to church and that did not deter Theophila. She kept going to church. She'd come home, she'd take her beating and she'd go back. Well, one day, Guido had enough and he said, I'm done with this. You are not going to bring any more disgrace on our family name and the community. And he grabbed Theophila by her hair. Now, these Quechua women have long, thick hair. And he's literally dragging her by her hair and he's dragging her to the lake and he's going to drown her. Well, on the way to the lake, Guido went stone cold deaf. Being a good animist, he thought, well, maybe her God has a little bit more power than my God, so he let her go, and Theophila lived. Over the course of the next few weeks, people ministered to Guido through various means of communication, and Guido gave his life to Jesus, and instantly his ears were opened up. Amen. Amen. And now Guido is one of our storytellers. He pastors a church and he's raising up other disciples to tell the story of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, we don't know who our roots are. We don't know who God's going to put in our path. But never lose sight of this. It's God's story. It's God's story. Let him tell his story through you. Amen. Amen. Pastor Steve. Thank you, Bob. Maybe today you're, you're identifying with, with Naomi or Mara a little bit, and you'd say, my life is filled with bitterness. And maybe you'd even, in our culture, you know, especially in church culture, we, we don't say it this way because we, we think it casts doubt on God. But you'd say, it feels like God has raised his fist against me. Just to say, it feels like I'm a long way from him and even though I pray and I'm trying to do my best to seek him, it feels like he's not listening to what I'm saying. I feel embittered in my life. I feel like the hurts and the pains in my life are so great, I don't see how God could do anything with this. And maybe you'd say, that's where I'm at right now. The sorrows, the troubles of life feel so great. I don't know what God could possibly do with this. The stories we've just heard, both the biblical story and the testimony of what God is doing even more recently in people's lives are reminders to us that God God heals that bitterness and he uses the struggles of our lives to bring, to bring Ruth's, to bring Obed's, to bring David's, and eventually to bring Jesus, to bring redemption to people's lives. And what I want to encourage you with 
is this today. I'm going to ask if our, our prayer partners, our pastors, deacons, deaconesses would come and just prepare to pray with people. And if you're in a place of bitterness in your own life, you'd say the burden is too great. It's too much in my life. I don't see how God could use this. I don't see how he could minister through this. I want to encourage you that maybe today you'll come and you'll be prayed for. And, and, and the purpose of this is strengthening in your life. The scripture says that if we'll wait on the Lord, he'll give us new strength. But I can't guarantee you that your circumstance changes immediately after we pray for you or something like that. I can't guarantee that, that the, the bitterness that you sense in your heart goes away, that the circumstances that you feel have caused that bitterness will go away. We, we just heard the story of a woman who would, would go to church and, and, and return home for her beating and, and was faithful in that testimony, that ministry, not knowing what God would do, but would remain faithful in it until one day it looked like the worst had happened and only then God intervened and changed her husband and now has raised them up to minister. So I don't know if you'll walk out of here and the problem will be gone. I can't guarantee that. That, that is something we have to leave in God's hands and trust him to do. But what I want to invite you to do, and, and prayer partners and pastors, if you go ahead and come now, what I want to invite you to do is that you would come and you'd bring your bitterness to God and say, God, I need your help to be strengthened to understand how my trouble is still part of your story. How my, how my difficulty doesn't disqualify me from the story of God and how my pain doesn't mean that God's not working, that you're not working in my life. If you need that assurance in your life, if you need that reminder today, I'm gonna invite you to come. In fact, would you just close your eyes for just a moment, congregation? If you are in that place where you'd say, I'm bitter, and maybe you even said to people, God has, God has really made my life hard. He's made my life difficult. I don't see how he's going to work. It's problem after problem after problem for me, and it doesn't appear that anything is working, that anything is, is, is taking root, that, that all my efforts to, to try to change things around are working. None of that has happened. And maybe you'd say, I'm in, I'm in bitterness. I'm bitter with circumstances. I'm bitter with the past in my life. I'm bitter with unforgiveness. I'm bitter through pain, and I don't see how God's going to do it. I need his strength. I need his, his vision today. I need, I need him to heal and to bring restoration. I need him to give me strength for what's ahead. And I need faith today that in spite of my pain, my story is still part of his story, that he's still working. If that's you, I'm going to ask if right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just make your way forward and you'd find one of our prayer partners or pastors to pray with. This is not you confessing to have done something wrong. This is you saying, I need God's grace and his healing. I need his mercy today. If that's you, you'd say, I'm in bitterness. I'm struggling through the pain of life and I don't have the assurance that God is able to work through this and in spite of this in my life. And you want that, that you need that strengthening this morning. Would you come even now? We're going to wait for just a moment. If, if that's you, would you come and make your way forward? Don't, don't let fear of what people will think or shame about your past keep you from being ministered to this morning or from allowing the Lord to reinforce in your heart the word of God that we've heard this morning. Would you come and just receive what he wants to do in your life? Receive the reassurance that he wants to give, the grace that he wants to bring in your life, and the strength that he will give as we wait on him this morning. Would you allow him to minister to you? I want to wait for just a moment because I, I think that there are probably more people who would say, yeah, if I'm being honest, I feel embittered. And maybe I'm even questioning what God's doing in my life right now. And I know that term questioning sometimes gets a really bad 
wrap because we, we treat it as if it's doubting, if we're wondering, what is God doing? How is he going to bring good out of this? We say, well, that's doubting God. And I would just encourage you, don't allow that thought of what other people are going to think about you to keep you from approaching him this morning and receiving ministry and prayer. If you're having questions, God, I don't see how you're going to work through this. I don't know how you're going to do it in this circumstance. Don't let the fear that people are going to think that you doubt keep you from receiving the strength of waiting on the Lord and a brother or sister in Christ praying with you this morning and encouraging your heart that your story is still part of his story. Church, would you just begin to pray as people are being ministered to here this morning? Would you begin to lift up your own voice and pray? You can pray for them. You can even just pray over the circumstances and the people in your own lives that maybe you're aware of there's, there's a bitterness or maybe in your life you just say there are things that I don't know how they fit, but I want to be faithful to what God has called me to because in that faithfulness, perhaps he will raise up a Ruth. Would you just begin to pray for that? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we approach you this morning, and we thank you that you bring our stories in. Father, most of the time, in fact, always, Lord, our stories are not pretty stories. They're not great ones. We don't come from a past that's squeaky clean. We don't come from a past in which we're totally pure. And Lord, oftentimes we are coming out of situations that we don't know how to make heads or tails of. We don't know which way we're supposed to be going. And Lord, our past doesn't look like you can fit it into the story. But we thank you that this morning we've heard and been reminded that you bring our stories into yours through your son Jesus. We thank you that even his past and his history and his, his ancestry is a reminder to us today that you, that you redeem, that you restore, that you deliver. And today, God, I pray that you'd begin to work in us the conviction that our history, our stories, and our pains and our bitterness is part of what you're doing. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to be faithful. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us in the midst of that bitterness, in the midst of that pain, not to give up hope in you, not to throw up our hands and say, God can't do anything more here, not to give up hope that you will work and you will deliver, but that we would continue to walk with faithfulness towards you. We pray that you'd raise up strength, that we would trust you. Help us, Lord, to recall your promises that bring, that bring peace to our hearts, that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. Help us to remember your promises that you work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us to recall that we are part of what you're doing in this world. And Lord, let us live lives of surrender before you so that rather than living in the midst of bitterness and allowing that bitterness to hinder your work, that we would live lives that point others who may be in bitterness themselves, who may have no other opportunity to see your work in someone's life except through us. Lord, help us to live lives that are faithful so that they can see. Lord, we pray that you would raise up Ruth's out of our stories. Lord, out of the people that are around us who have witnessed the pain and the hurts of our past. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up people who experience the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ and are brought to salvation as a result. Father, today we offer our stories to you. As varied as they are, as painful as many of them are, as difficult as maybe they are right now in the present, we offer these stories to you, and we ask, Lord, that in our lives you would redeem those stories. And we thank you, Lord, that we know through Jesus you are. 
We thank you, Lord, that we've seen today the example that you are. We pray that you'd give us the strength, you would give us the faith to hold on to your promises, to hold on with assurance to what you're doing and to trust you for it. We love you, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, we are going to wait. The prayer partners are going to be here. We would love to pray with you. We are appreciative of your continued your continued faithfulness in serving God and his people, especially as you give toward missions. And I hope that this morning has encouraged you to understand better what happens when we give, that people's lives are indeed transformed and that God's vision is taking root all over the world and that there's more work to be done. I'd encourage you to be faithful in prayer and in giving and as well as in the story in which God has placed you. Because as we're faithful in these things, I believe that God is going to continue to use us to be a blessing both here in the Pioneer Valley and around the world. Again, if you need prayer, please come. We would be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, we encourage you to go in God's grace and his peace and understand that you are part of the story of people that he's raising up to bring redemption in these last days. Amen.